This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Brian Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. How's everybody doing today? You guys come to it expecting something? Um, if you didn't grab uh, some notes while you're on your way in, I think our ushers, they may have some. They can get you some. If you forgot, you're delinquent and you want to... And then there's those that they're folding them out and they're getting them all ready and they're putting them on their laps and they got their pens and they're ready to go. And then there's all the people that are delinquent. It's okay. It's okay. Raise your hand. If you're delinquent, raise your hand. The ushers will come in and we'll have an altar call. You guys can come down and we'll pray for you and you'll be saved. <laughs> you know, you might ask, you know, Wanda Hummel, I don't know, is Wanda here today? She's not here, but she hated him. Absolutely hated that. Now, this is coming from a teacher. Somebody that's a teacher doesn't like an outline. I was heartbroken at first, but man, I won her over. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, you ask, why do we do this? Why do we have these things? Well, it's just, it's, there's all different types of learners. There's audible, there's people that see, there, I don't know all the terminology. Look it up. I just know there's lots of different learners, right? So that's why we provide them. We provide them so you can write them down. You know, here's the thing. I believe, you know, this is something I started at the beginning of the year. I've got all these journals. How, how many people in here have a lot of journals, right? And you have this like dream that someday you're gonna write in them and you're gonna have glorious notes and, and all these things, right? I mean, I got journals stacked up. I could probably heat my home for, for a winter. <laughs> so this year I was, I, uh, at the beginning of the year, I'm like, I'm gonna do it this year. And so I grabbed a journal and, and uh, I can't say that I do it every day, but I write in it. And, and I tell you, a lot of days, they don't, the, the notes don't make any sense. But there are days where there's things that God drops in my heart and it's like, wow. And so really that's what that piece of paper sitting in your lap is, is for. It's like, you know what, Lord? I was expecting Pastor Mike today and somehow Brian ended up in the pulpit, but I'm coming and, and I've got this piece of paper and I don't know that I'm gonna fill in all the blanks, but I'm, I'm expecting to hear from you. I'm expecting to hear a word from me, amen? Well, let's just pray over the word here and then we'll transition. Father, we just come before you. Father, I just wanna thank you for this time today. I wanna to thank you, Father, for your word because your word is what changes people. It's not what I say, it's what your word says. And I, I just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be in this place, speak to hearts, speak to lives, help us change the way that we see things. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. Did you guys know that? Today is the day that we celebrate the beginning of Holy Week, and, and it was the, the first day, that, that uh, the beginning of just celebration towards Easter, which is what we're going to be celebrating next week. And so, um, you know, I want, I want to talk about uh, just this day and, and look at some scriptures and, and uh, talk about some different things because the first day of the week is, is uh, this Palm Sunday. And often the angle that we look at Palm Sunday is kind of from an angle of victory. You know, I talked to pastor and pastor's like, well, you know, this is what I usually do on Palm Sunday. And I said, okay, you know, that's great. So I began to read just the different accounts, you know, and, and I, just, I just saw some different things. And it's not that, it's not that ultimately it is about victory absolutely is absolutely about victory. We just got done singing some of those songs that, that remind us of that. But 
you know, there are, there are angles, there's perceptions. How many of you guys have ever been to an art museum and they have these pieces of artwork and if you look at them one way, they look a certain way. But if you go, you know, 45 or 50, 50 degrees to one side, it's a completely different object, you know, and, and, uh, and so, you know, as I read through some of these different accounts, I began to see some different things that I, I thought, well, man, you know, if, if we would look at these things, it would just help us. It would help to strengthen and, and fortify what it is that we believe. And, and uh, you know, when, it, when we think about this perceptions thing, you know, the one, the, kind of the first thing that comes to my mind is the perception of men and women. Am I right? You know, you, know, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is like for men, right? If a man wants an expensive item, a mower, right? You know, they don't buy a 42 inch, they buy a 60 inch, right? If they want a gun, they don't want a gun with just a few bells and whistles, they want a gun with all the bells and whistles, right? If they get a truck, they want the truck with the biggest tires, with the massaging seats and the heated things, right? And as a man, our perception is, I need this, I gotta have it, and I want it, right? But the woman's perception is like, I don't see what you're th talking about here. This makes absolutely no sense. It's completely overkill. Why are you doing this, right? But hey, let's talk about the ladies because we're not, you know, the men aren't the only ones, right, at fault here. How about the ladies? You know, you guys go shopping. You say, oh, I'm going shopping. And you come back with all these bags. But, you know, they pull them out and you show, it's like, hey, you know, look what I got. I got these new shoes. And it's like, you know, you look at these shoes and it's like, well, don't you have, you know, it's like, well, it's a different shade of brown. But see, as a woman, right, as a woman, your perception is, I need these, I want them, and I'm going to buy them. And as a man, it's like, I see one, two, three, four, six different boots that look the same that are just a different shade, right? So it's all about perception. You know, it's, it's, it's this thing that we, we perceive things differently, you know, sometimes it's based on the home that we grew up. Sometimes it's based on, you know, maybe what happened in our lives. Maybe our parents were divorced. And so, you know, we have perceptions. That's what kind of forms our perceptions. But the problem is, is that perceptions can be dangerous. We can live our life based on a perception that we have, something that we've formed over history, over time. And it can be dangerous. It's, you know, it's kind of like this next illustration that I kind of hesitated to share. But you know, I'm a person of honesty, transparency. That's, that's what I believe in. I believe that we need to be transparent. And so many years ago, I got invited to go up to Ames and, and uh, we were in a, group, uh, in, a group, in a car and a group of guys. And you know, as a young man, you know, when you're in high school and you're in a small town, there's, there's not a lot of people to date right? And so what you do is you go, you go to Ames and you're on a campus and there's just lots and lots and lots of options. Am I right? <laughs> guys are laughing. And so one day, you know, we're in this car and I'm in the back seat and I'm just like looking at all these options. I'm like, my goodness, look at all these options. And I see this one and, I, and, and her back was to me. Long, flowing hair. I was like, oh, guys, 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 look at this one, look at this one. I was a sheltered kid, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when she turned around, it wasn't a she, it was a he. <laughs> now, you guys are laughing at me, right? That's just great. 
None of you guys would be bold enough to get up here and tell a story like that about yourself. You'd never, oh, I've never done, I've never done anything like that. Yeah, right. It's about perception. But my point is this. Josh was looking too. But my, my point is this. It's about perception. And your perception can be dangerous, right? My perception was wrong. I thought it was, I thought it was right. But when she turned around... It was wrong. Guys, gouge, gouge out my eyes, right? That kind of a thing. But think about your own life and think about the perceptions that you have as a person, the things, the ways that you look at things, maybe the ways that you look at your marriage, the ways that you look at your, your children, the way that you look at your job, the way that you look at the church. You know, because what I think you're going to find, and, and, and my prayer has been that today you will discover perceptions that maybe are wrong, perceptions that are not completely right, perceptions that are maybe dangerous to your livelihood and dangerous to what it is that God has called you to. He's called you to a great place, but there might be perceptions in your life that are holding you back. And so my prayer is, is that today you will see things from a different perception. You know what? You may have experienced loss in, in your life, and so now you have a hard time trusting that, that maybe God can do. Maybe you prayed for something and he didn't come through. And now you find yourself with this perception that, you know, I did it once or maybe I did it twice and, and he didn't come through. And so I just don't know that I can go there. I don't know that I can, you know, step out and begin to believe what it is that, that I know in my heart I should, but because of the loss that I experienced, I can't. You know, another thing is, is that you may find yourself with a, a comfortable perception Life is good. Things are good. And that is, that's okay. But I don't believe that God ever called us to a life of comfort. And, 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 and there might be things in your life where God's been speaking to you and, and, and challenging that comfort, challenging you to step out. And so we have to, we have to address those, those perceptions. You know, another thing is how, you know, you, you've maybe come into the church and maybe you're, you're newer to the things of Christ and, and there's things that are being taught and spoken and you've heard and they're challenging the way that you, it's like, you know, that doesn't line up with the way that I'm living. Maybe I need to live differently. Maybe I need to talk differently. Maybe I need to do things differently. And so you're challenged in that because you've spent your whole life doing it a certain way and your perception is, I'm okay. When in reality... You're not okay. And God wants you to live differently. He wants you to, to walk in a different manner. There are principles and, 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 and things in the Bible that he wants you to change, perceptions that he wants you to change. Another one is, is giving and receiving. And, and, you know, I hesitate to even talk about this because time and time again at this church, our family, this, this family, this church family, shows such generosity, it, it just amazes me. You know, this past week we had Caleb and Alicia come and, and uh, they spoke a great, you know, just had three great sessions on marriage and, and did a phenomenal job. But you guys stepped up in such a major way. And, and it's not just them. It's like every single person that comes into this church and every single thing that we put before you, it's like you step up. And so I just want to thank those of you that, that understand the principles behind giving and receiving. And every single time you, you, you do that, I thank you for that. 
But maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not the one that you don't understand. You, you're, you're, you're challenged in the giving part of it, you know, and we have a, you know, we receive an offering and, you know, last week we received two offerings. And sometimes people are like, that's a challenge. That goes against what it is that I, that I think. And, and your perception and maybe things that people have talked about and ideas that you've had begin to, to come into your mind and hold you back from what it is that's being, you know, Per, you know, basically offered to you that this is a this is an opportunity to sow, but but that, those perceptions hold you back, and and what they do is they keep you from stepping into what it is that God wants desperately for your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to open the windows of heaven in your life. He wants to rebuke the devourer in your life. But you have to understand that if you can't move past those those perceptions that you have and begin to walk out what it is that God wants you to do you won't ever experience those things. And so, you know, I don't know what the perception is that you have. There, you know, it can be something different for, for everybody. But in your notes, the first point is this, is that danger is, the danger is our perception is not always a reality. I found that out in Ames, Iowa. There's really no scripture that goes along with that. But the enemy works endlessly in this area of our lives to twist and to warp our perception. He will cause fear, he'll cause doubt, questions, loss, to form a perception or a view in our lives. And that's why we have been admonished to renew and change and transform our perception with the Word of God. Every single day, we need to renew, we need to change, we need to allow the Word of God to, to form a different perception in our lives. It's never-ending. It's, it's a continual thing. You know, as we look at this, at this story of Palm Sunday, um, I looked at it in all the different Gospels, but in Luke, it, sh- it just sheds, it goes a little bit further, kind of paints a little bit broader picture of what was going on. And, you know, as I said before, the one side of, of um, Palm Sunday is one of joy. It's one of victory. You know, we know that today, looking back on it, you know, it was a prophecy that in Zechariah that was coming to pass, you know, and so there was that very joyous and victorious part. But the other side, you know, when you look at this story is one that was sad, it was one that was somewhat heartbreaking. You know, when I think about all of the, the different things that surrounded this week, I think about the betrayal that Jesus experienced. You know, that, that one of these men that, was, that, that had been with him for so long would betray him. You know, the other time I think about is when he was in the garden and he's praying and he asked his disciples, hey, I want you to pray with me. And they fell asleep. You know, so he got let down. You know, there's betrayal. There's being, there's being let down. There's, there's the denying, you know. And, and so I think about all of these things where it was sad and it was heartbreaking. And when we look at these two sides, it brings a depth. It brings an understanding. It fortifies, strengthens, and it gives us resolve as believers when we understand all of these components. Because here's the thing, guys. We can, we can come into Easter and we can... We can come in next Sunday and we can celebrate and we can shout praise and, and we can wear our Easter best and we can invite somebody and we can go out there and get a picture taken and then we can leave and go and celebrate with family. And those are all very, very good things, but we're missing 
some of the very most important concepts and ideas that surround this week and even Easter. And, and that's really kind of what I'm driving at today is, is that we don't miss these, these, the perception of our Heavenly Father, the, the view of, of Jesus, the view that Jesus had. And that's where I'm going to end today is, is what it is that Jesus saw. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to live my life with my own perception. I want to live my life with the perception that Jesus has, the view that Jesus has, how he sees the world, how he sees people in my life. When I walk and when I talk and when I talk to my wife and when I talk to my kids, you know, not that I'm, I've arrived, but every day I want to be better. Every day I want to, I want to step into what it is that, that he's doing and how it is that he sees those areas of my life. And so, um, you know, a little bit of background on, on Palm Sunday, you know, Palm Sunday was in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and, and there was a week-long Passover celebration that was starting in Jerusalem. And so basically Jews from all over, all over the Roman kingdom were coming to Jerusalem. I mean, just lots and lots and lots of people. And during this time, Israel was under the oppression of the Romans. And they thought, right, many of the people thought or they perceived that Jesus was coming as a natural king to overthrow um, the Roman rule and reign and to set, it up, set up a kingdom and, and basically relieve them of this, of this bondage. And so, uh, the, you know, the crowd correctly saw that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies, but they didn't understand where Jesus' kingship would lead him. They didn't see the whole story. They didn't see where, where it was going. They didn't see all of the little things that, that were so, so important. And so as we look at this story, we see four realities that will dramatically change our perspective. I believe that they will change our perspective and help us to live the life that God has called us to live. And so in your notes there, and, and we'll have it on the screens, we're going to pick up the story here in Luke 19, verse 28. And it says that Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the town of Beth, Beth, Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, and they went into the vi uh, village over there, he told them. And as you enter, you'll see a donkey tied uh, there, and no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here, and if anyone asks... Why are you untying that colt? Just say that the Lord needs it. And so they went, found the colt, and just as Jesus said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, why are you taking the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. You know, this is kind of funny. I don't know if you know, you know when you look at this story, it's kind of like Jesus tells these guys, all right, go down here, go right, go left. There's going to be a donkey there. No one's ever ridden it. You're going to untie it, and then you're going to bring it back to me. Now, listen, if I went to Jeff Straczynski's house and I didn't know him, I'm a stranger, right? And I just go in and I drive in the driveway and I go into the barn and I open up the gate and there's a donkey there. It's never been ridden. And I start to untie it. I guarantee you that Jeff's going to come out of his house and he's going to be like, what are you doing? The Lord needs it, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead and take the donkey. No, I mean, you know, so it's just kind of funny. It's kind of amusing. But my point is this. This event was a fulfillment of prophecy, but if we look at it in Matthew 21, 4 and 7, it says, so the disciples went and they did as Jesus commanded. So the first reality that changes our perspective in your notes is this. Following Jesus requires obedience. 
Following Jesus requires obedience. And that's really what we saw here. These, these disciples that were with Jesus, he asked them to do something, and they did it. They listened, and they did it, and obeyed. And, and the same thing is true in our lives, is that we need to obey. Following Jesus requires that each and every one of us, in every area of our lives, are obeying what it is that he says to do. You know, and, and we think that we can follow him and get away with not obeying. We think that we, I'll obey him here, but I'm not going to obey him here. Listen, I grew up in Mike and Joan's house. There was no option about obeying. There's this one spot on the road on 92, and I drive past there, and I think about it every single time, because I don't know if it was just the halfway mark where me and Greg were just not getting along, and we're in the back seat, and we're wrestling and screaming, and Dad would wheel the car over, unsafely, might I might add, because there's gravel flying everywhere, and that's when you knew where you were in trouble. But when he turned that light on and he said, be quiet, you were quiet, okay? It wasn't an option. We were required to obey. And the same thing is true when it comes to following Jesus, that it requires obedience. And I'm glad that they taught me that now because this point is super easy for me. I'm all about obeying Jesus because <laughs> I don't want Jesus to pull the car over and yell at me. Obedience is not an option. Excuses do not work with Jesus. John 14 and 15 says it this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. You know what? If you're going to call me Lord, if you're going to call me your Savior, if you're going to say, I love you, Lord, guess what? As a follower of Jesus, our responsibility is to love him. And if we love him, we will obey him. And so, you know, if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments. The problem is, is that we don't like to obey. We don't, right? What do we say when we're in, te- when we're in high school? It's like, man, when I get out of here, I'm going to do it my own way, right? Because you don't, you don't want to be told what to do. And, and we live this life. It's like, no, don't tell me what to do. Some of our, you know, husbands and wives, we fixed that last weekend, but it's been a week. So, you know, no, don't tell me what to do. No, I'm not going to eat that. No, stop. Give me the remote. You know, and we, we, we don't want to obey. We have a hard time with it. But look what it says here in Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord and you do not do what it is that I say? So here he is again. He's saying, listen, man, why, why don't you do what I say? I'm your Lord. If you call me your Lord, do what I say. You know, another funny story when it comes to this whole obedience thing was, I'll never forget it. And it goes along with this idea that we don't want to obey. Okay. So we were on a ski trip, and we were heading out, and we drove halfway, I think. Yeah, we drove halfway. And so we're driving out, and, and uh, Dad always got two rooms, and we were confined to the smallest room with the worst beds. And uh, we were laying in there one night, and Greg and I were just like dinking around, and it was super, super, super late, you know. We had been talking and just carrying on and laughing. And I mean, if you've ever been around Greg, he will flat out make you laugh for hours. And so here we are. We're, we're just you know, well, he's in the other room and the door's probably cracked and, and he's not happy. I mean, he is, he is not happy. And so from the other room, we hear this. I was going to grab a different microphone because so you could really get the, the, the vibe of it. He says, go to sleep. <laughs> and without, without hesitation, Greg says, or I will put you to sleep. True story. And you know, from the other room, he had just said, go to sleep. And I mean, I'm doing everything I can to not laugh. But I mean, you know, how do you not laugh? Or I will put you to sleep. 
you know, so the thing is, guys, is that we don't want to obey. Greg was really bad at obeying. I was really good at obeying. He was really bad at obeying. And there's people in here, there's some of you guys, you're really good at obeying. And there's some of you guys in here that I know you're really bad at obeying. But my point is this, is that if we're going to be a follower of Christ, we have to obey Christ. You have to, I mean, if you're not an obedient person and you think, well, I can just not be obedient in every other area of my life. I can break the law. I can speed. I can do whatever it is that I want to do. But you're going to, you know, compartmentalize your life and now obey God. You're going to have a hard time with that, I think. Just saying. And now I want to clarify something here. If you have a perception of God that if I don't obey, he's going to come down on you, which many people have, or as my brother put it, go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. (laughs) That's not how God views you. He's not going to, if you don't obey, put you to sleep. He's not going to bring things on you to try to teach you things. That is not how he operates. He said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. And so that's what we need to be doing is following his commandments, loving him. James 1.22 in your notes says, to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So the thing is, guys, is that you can sit here and you can look at these verses and you can see like, okay, I need to obey God. I need to love him. I need to do as he commands. But you might still be sitting there resisting this idea and saying, I'm not doing that. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. My perception is not even close to that. But here's what it's saying. It's saying that you're, you're just deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving anyone else. Everyone else that, that understands the word of God, they understand the principles. And so they're walking it out. They're putting it into practice. They're beginning to plant the seeds in their life and they're beginning to reap the harvest. It's, it's just a continual flow. But if you, if you make that decision that you're not going to do it, and I'm just not going to do it, and I'm going to do part of it here, and I'm going to do some of it here and none of it here, the only person that you're deceiving is yourself. That's what it's saying. And so we, we have to be doers of the words and not hearers only. We have to obey him and, and, and hear and act. And so the last point in, in, under this idea of being in obedience is I found in Isaiah 119. It says that the willing and the obedient will eat the good of the land. That is the fruit of of our obedience. The fruit of our obedience, the fruit of making a choice to follow him, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what it is that he tells you to do. It's like, it's a non-negotiable. This is a reality in my life. I am not going to let the perceptions that, that have formed in my life hinder me from what it is that he's asking me to do. Because the, the minute that I don't obey is the minute that I stop the blessing of God in my life. And I am not going to do that. And you have to have that inner fortitude within you because, because the enemy, there's people around you, there's all of these external you know, influences that are putting pressure on you as a believer to not obey. They're putting pressure on you to not obey and to just be a hearer of the word only. You can come in here and you can hear the word, but the, but the real pu- proof that's in the pudding is when you walk out the door, you get in the car, you go in the house, and you do, all, you do life. That's where, that's where it is, but you just have to have that inner fortitude that I do not care 
what it is that's going on in my life. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what the pressure is. I don't care. I am going to obey. I am going to do what is right. I am going to stand before my father and I'm going to give an account for my behavior, my actions, how I talked, how I lived. And I want it to be one that I did my very best. And if I did screw up, I was quick to repent. He wants our obedience. Following him requires our obedience. And we have to live in that reality that Jesus requires. He requires our obedience. The next reality as we move down through this is is found here in Luke 19, 37 and 38. It says, when he reached the place where the roads started down to the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing all as he walked praising God for all of his wonderful miracles, saying blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, another, another, uh, one of the other accounts of this is found in Matthew 21, 9. It says, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And you know, when you think about that word, Hosanna, what do you think about? What, what does Hosanna mean? mean to you. I put it in your notes. A lot of people think that Hosanna means, um, what did I put? Praise. It's in there. Some of you guys can help me. Praise. Hosanna. They think, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's praise. No, it actually means save now. Save now. And so what you have to understand is that these people were desperate And they wanted relief from the oppression that they were experiencing. God had led them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land, but they were still still being oppressed, and they were wanting this, and they thought, this is it. And so they knew that the prophecies, and they believed that the fulfillment, but their understanding was complete. And they desperately were crying, please save us now. How many of you guys have ever been desperate? Anybody in here? When I think about desperate, there was this one time that Rachel and I were talking about it where we felt desperate. I mean, desperate. We were at, at the time, it was the convention center in Omaha, and Emily was four years old. And, uh, you know, we were going through this dinosaur exhibit, this overpriced dinosaur exhibit, <laughs> right? You're walking through this thing, it's like, I just spent $75 to get in here, Right? You guys ever do that? Or am I the only one? Okay. I guess I'm the only one. No one, no one, no one said anything, Doug. And so I'm walking through this thing, and I'm just like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know, and doing what, I do, and what we do. And, and uh, we didn't have Will at the time. We did? That just shows you how much I know about my kids' age. We did have Will at the time. <laughs> so we're walking through this thing, and the next thing you know, we look around. And Emily is gone. And I mean, there are people, I'm, I'm, it was a huge exhibit. There's people everywhere. There's a whole row of inflatables. And I mean, there are people everywhere. And to top it off, it's dark. And, there's, and, and they, and they you know, heard you through there like a maze. And so we look around and we're like, you know, and that's when the panic set in. I mean, Rachel went from everything's good to everything is not good. And we are, I mean, and listen, as a man, as a husband, I'm a good husband. When your wife goes to that place, you go to that place. 
I mean, you're ready to take anything and anyone out. You're looking for the opportunity for the open field tackle, right? I mean, your spidey senses are on high alert, but way deep down inside, there's desperation. I mean, desperate, dude. I'm just like, I mean, you know, you're looking everywhere, and I mean, we're running around. I mean, Rachel's taking out people, and she's, she's, she's like yelling, my daughter, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> and she's running into bathrooms. Guys are going like this. I mean, just like looking for, looking for, looking for our daughter. We're, she were desperate, you know. And I'm, I'm running through the inflatables, man. I'm knocking kids out of the way. And where's she at? Where's she at? You know, I'm looking. I cannot find her. Actually, did you find her or did I? I think I found her. At the very last inflatable, at the very end of the, of the complex, you know, and you just grab her and you're just like, what are you doing? You know, you're just that desperate feeling just leaves, you know, and yesterday we were talking about it. We're like, what were you thinking? You know, as a four-year-old. <laughs> and she's like, well, I was just sitting at the bottom of the slide making sure that everybody went in order and nobody took anybody out. <laughs> I mean, literally, she's down there in an inflatable that's enclosed. I mean, she, sa- she was safe, and her parents were running like maniacs around the convention center. And, you know, and so my point is, is, is it, there is a point in this, and, and that is, is that in life, we're desperate. These people were desperate. There's, there, please, save us now. Save us now. And, uh, and so number two in your notes, we need to recognize our need for a savior. You know, and, and the thing is, guys, is that this is continual. It's not just when we lose something, when we lose our four-year-old. It's not just when, when we need him. And, and let me just show you this. We're going to look at this. Because the problem is, is that we don't always live our life recognizing that we need a savior. We, we, we go at it alone. We do things alone and, and we say, ah, I'm good. I got this one. I'm really wise. Well, that's your first problem. And slowly but surely, slowly and surely, our reliance for God slowly drifts into obscurity. And this point here, this, this reality of recognizing that we need a savior, it's not a reality. It's a distant memory. And it's not until something just blows up in our life and we go running back to God. And we're like, God, save us, and I need you to do it now. And then we get out, bent out of shape because he doesn't do it. You know, and we, we, we allow that to affect us. But look what it says here in Psalms 107. I think I, I brought the slide so you guys can see it. I didn't put it in your notes because it's entirely too long. But I want you to pick out what it is that God is saying. It says in Psalms 107, verse... Well, it says eight, but it's actually one. Oh, give thanks <clears throat> to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Verse four, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And they began to cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress, and he led them forth the right way. Verse 8, Oh, 
that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. But they rebelled against the word of God and despised his counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was no help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. Verse 15, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Their soul uh, abhorred all manner of food. They drew near the gates of death, and then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress, and he sent his word and healed them. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. You guys recognize a phrase that's in here multiple times? Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. If you're not seeing the, the, the cycle, if you will, is that the children of Israel, man, they're just, they're desperate. So they go to him and they cry out and he, and he saves them and he delivers them and he helps them. But then what happens is, is that they, they forget their, their need for a savior. Ah, I don't, we're good. We don't need him. And you know, this stuff that he's given us, it's not very good anyway. And so they, they begin to complain and they digress and they get away from this idea that they need a savior. And God is saying, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Not when you need something, right? I, I was thinking about this, you know, oh that, the, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. You know, when I think about, oh, that, I, you know, I think about our lovely Aaron, right? You know, because we don't say, like when I walk into my house, I don't say, oh, that my kids would pick up their clothes. Oh, that my kids would stop putting their shoes in, in the line of walking, right? Oh, that why do they leave their, I don't say it that way, but he does, <laughs> don't you? No, he doesn't. <laughs> I put him on the side. I, th- I, I don't know. I have all these preconceived ideas about pe- people from Northern Ireland. And so I just, I don't know, I just project it, you know, onto him. And I think that when he's at home and his kids are not doing as they say, oh, that they would pick up their garbage. Oh, that they would do their chores. Oh, that I have to, you know, I don't know. I'm making light of something. But my point is this. My point is, is that God was just saying, he's like, come on. Will you just, will you just, just live in a life that honors me? Just each and every day when you get up and you, you put your sandals on and you walk out of your tent and it's like, gosh, there's manna again. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Oh gosh, I'm on the Toyota again. Oh gosh, I live in this house. You know, you know what I get, I'm getting at is that he just wanted them to just live in thankfulness, in great gratefulness to the king that, you know what, Lord, I need a savior. Every single day that I get up, I need your help. Every single day that I walk into the house and my kids have taken their shoes off right in the door, I need your help, Lord. In the simplest of things. I mean, it can be the simple things of life. It can be the big things of life. That it's like, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to be like the children of Israel. I'm not going to be the, the one that, that you're saying, oh, that you would just be thankful for once. I'm going to be the one that's thankful, the one that's grateful, the one that's, that, that lives this lifestyle where we don't complain. I mean, how many times, guys, have you gone to the Lord in prayer? I mean, actually, you've gone to him in complaining, right? And you're, and you're complaining to him. 
about what it is that's going on. And then by his grace and his mercy, he just, you know, he's working in the background and then he just drops this big bomb on you and you just have this great blessing. And it's just like, I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there before. It's like, oh man, I am so small in my thinking because he is working. He is there. He may not look like he's, he's on your timeline, but he is working. And so what we need to do is be in this practice that, you know what, I am in desperate need of a Savior every single day, and I'm going to live my life in one of gratitude to him. And so we need to live in this reality that we need a Savior. The third one is in Luke 19, um, 39. It says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying the, uh, the things like that. So number three uh, in your notes is, is that this is, you're going to re- really love this one. This is probably the best one. Actually, it's not the best one. It's the most challenging one. Opposition will come. When we begin to live in these realities, right? When we begin to make this choice to change our perspective, to lean in and allow him to change us on a daily basis, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to have opposition, We will have opposition. It might come in the form of your family. It might come in the form of a spouse. It might come in the form of a coworker. It might come in the form of a friend or a so-called friend where when you begin to take these steps to live in a life that honors God and obey God, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be things that they're going to be like, what? Man, you've been doing this for, we've been doing this for so many years. You mean to tell me you're going to stop? We did this in high school. Man, this is our, this is our annual trip. This is what we're going to... No, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to live my life that way. Or maybe it's a, a, you know, in the work environment and, and you're tempted or pressured to do a deal that isn't good, to do a deal that, that, that is dishonest, and you know it's dishonest. You have, that's, that's the pressure. That's where it really where it comes down to it. And, and, and this point that opposition will come, you have to know it. You have to settle it in your heart that, you know what, I'm going to walk this life, but there's going to be opposition that comes in my life. And it is going to be a challenge. But man, I am bound and determined. I'm, gonna, I'm bound to, to live this life where I'm obeying him. And I'm bound and determined to make sure that I'm looking to him as my savior because I know that opposition is going to come, but I'm going to honor him. And I may not make the buck. I may not make the deal, but guess what? He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's he's my Savior. He's the one that's going to supply my need. He's the one that's going to help me when I desperately need it. And I'm not going to cut that off. You have to remember their perception, that person that you have in your life, that coworker, their perception is not reality. Their perception is jacked up. And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to impose their perception of life their, their perception of God, their perception of receiving, their perception on you. But you have to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to stand up against this. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to deal with this. I am, I, I'm going to have to deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it the right way. And I'm going to honor God with my life. The perception is based on their ideas, their loss, their failures, and their doubts, and they're trying to put it on you. The question is, Will you stand against it? John 16, 33 says it this way. In the world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. I have overcome. James 1 says to consider it an opportunity for joy 
and produce endurance and growth in your life. So these tribulations are going to come. We're told that they're going to come. But it's our opportunity. It's our opportunity to count it all joy. It might be tough. Lord, I just count it all joy. This is not fun. In fact, this is painful. But just the, just the fact that you're coming to him and saying, you know what, Lord, your word says to count it all joy. You told me there'd be tribulation. But man, I'm, I'm gonna, I know that you're going to redeem me. And you're going to bring me out of this because you told me that you have overcome this world. And so that's the third point. The last one is really the most important one. And I brought a picture to kind of help to illustrate this point. It's really the point that hit me the hardest because, you know, up to this point, all of the gospel accounts are really, really identical. But there's this one point where, where it's added on to. And this is a picture of the Mount, kind of the, not exactly, there's, but the Mount of Olives looking down on Jerusalem, right? That, at least that's, that's the picture I hope it is. That's the picture I wanted it to be. And so if you've been to Israel and you're like, that's absolutely not right, just go with me on it. <laughs> but the, th- the point that I'm trying to make is, is like if you, if you reread this story, if you reread this story when you go home in Luke 19, He's, he's coming down the hill on, on the donkey. And, you know, when we look at this picture, it's like we see buildings, we see a city, we see a beautiful kind of a shot of sun on the side of this city, and that's what we see. That's our perception. But what I want you to do is I want you to look at this. It says that when he was coming down the hill and he drew near... He saw the city and he wept. Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem and he wept. And so what I want you to do is, I want you to close your eyes because your perception is is the picture that I brought to you. But right now, just everybody close your eyes. I'm not going to be weird. I want you to put yourself on the donkey with Jesus. I want you to see what Jesus saw when he was coming down the hill on the donkey. He didn't see building. He didn't see trees. He didn't see walls. He saw humanity. He saw people who had rejected him. He saw a crowd who shouted, crucify him. And a city that would be destroyed. A city that would be brought to ruin by their own choice. These people had it wrong, guys. Their perception was wrong. You guys can open your eyes. I just think, guys, we we live life. And we're just like, one week to the next. We're going to do next. Where we got to be. Calendars bursting with things to do. Places to go. It's all these things. but we don't see the way that Jesus sees. We don't see when you walk into Casey's. (laughs) 
what's really going on with somebody. My wife cries more than I do. <laughs> but here's the thing, guys. Your life, you got to see what Jesus sees. Number four in your notes, we must make Jesus known. Jack Hayford put it this way in his commentary, that Jesus used the tragic events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem as a picture of the condition preceding his own return. This isn't just a story about the week that he went before he went. This is a visualization of what our world would look like before he came again. And, but Jesus looked past everything that was going on. He looked past the wars. He looked past, you know, everything that was going on and how business and what the government was doing. He wasn't looking at any of that, guys. But that's what we do. That's our perception. We're trying to do this, do that. And, 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 and we are missing the forest for the trees. We have to live this life just like Jesus, that we see the people, the person that's on the other side of the plexiglass that needs you to be, to smile, to be kind. You know, Rachel, she was in Shenandoah here a few weeks ago, drove through the drive-thru. She waited forever, forever. And they finally came on and the lady's like, I'm so sorry, I'll take your order now. She took her order. She gets to the window. She waits forever. I mean, forever. You know what Rachel didn't do? She didn't get mad. She didn't get mad and drive off and honk her horn. When the lady opened up the door, I said, it's okay. It's okay. She said, I'm the only one in here. It's okay. It's the simple things, guys. I'm not asking you to go out and stand anywhere and preach. I'm just asking you to see as Jesus sees. I'm asking you to let your life be a representation of what it is that Jesus sees. These last points are this. Ask God for opportunities. Ask God for opportunities. I don't want to be selfish where I'm just going through life and I'm, I'm just not even asking him. So then once I've asked him for it, I'm going to look, look. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, but write it above it. Listen, listen, look and listen for opportunities because they're all around you. They are all around you. All you got to do is start talking to somebody, start asking them questions about their life, and they will begin to talk about their life, about them. It's all about them. And that's okay because what you will be able to do is you'll be able to get a temperature on their life. You'll be able to identify the things that are hurting, the things that are, you know, and, and, and when you've prayed and you've asked God for these opportunities, you will be amazed at how the conversation leads to that point. But you have to be aware. You have to be looking for it. You have to be listening for it. You know, one night we went down, this was months ago, went down to, I spent a lot of time at Casey's. Judge me, that's okay. I'm a provider. 
Okay, I'm not going to go out and hunt. I'm going to go get a pizza. What do you want? <laughs> there's a guy in there. And I walk up. I said, hey, man, thanks. It's like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Do you need a, do you need fireworks shooting from the sky to help you to identify an opportunity? I didn't. I was hungry, wanted to eat. But I'm like, listen, this guy's following me out. He, God is making this super easy. I'm like, come on, let's go outside. I said, come on outside. We'll come outside. Here, give me a cigarette. We sat there. No, I didn't. But we're standing there. I'm just trying to lighten the mood here. You guys are really, really stiff right now. I just took him outside. So what do you got going on, man? He just started talking, man. Just talking. He's like, man, I just, I've, I've had this thing and this thing, and I've lost this person. I've, lost, I've had all this loss. I said, I can help you. I don't have all the answers. That's not what, that's not what people need. They don't need all the answers. They need somebody to listen. And if you can offer some guidance, offer some guidance, some. I don't want to underline that. Some people get, they just go off. They don't need a book. They don't need a novel. They need love. They need acceptance. They need to know that you're listening and they need to know that you care. And when you get to the end of the conversation, you say, give me your hand. Let's pray. And that's my challenge to you guys today. See it for what it is. See it the way that Jesus sees it. When you go out those doors today, this isn't about just getting together and singing and you know celebrating. Thank God we can do that. But there is so much more to life. So much more, guys. We have to be a church that it's so much more. Because it's just like, it's just like his commentary said. It, 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 that's exactly what it would be like in the last days. And we see it, we're looking around, and everybody's running around, and they're doing their thing. But it's like he said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I believe it just comes down to this, this, this concept that it's like, we can't, we can't stop what it is that we're doing. We can't maybe take the earbuds out of our thing and, and, and look up. Look at people. Talk to people. Engage them. Ask them how they're doing. You know, don't be weird about it. Hey, let me pray for you. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying take the advantage of the opportunities when they come. Look and listen and, and act. And I believe with all of my heart that as you ask for those things and you look for those things and you act on those things, God will use you in powerful ways. We gotta be soul winners. We gotta see the world as Jesus sees it. Amen, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today. We're so thankful. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today is your day. Today is your day. There's three things. Number one, your perception has been wrong. It's been jacked up and it's been screwing up your life. And today you recognize that this is the day that it's done. I'm done doing this. I'm done dealing with this. He wants to help you with that perception. He wants to change that perception. But it's just like we talked about. Number one, obedience. 
You gotta, you gotta be bold. You gotta say, Brian, that's me. You gotta lift up your hand and say, that's me. Right now with every, every hand that's in this place, lift up your hand if you're that person. Your perception's jacked and you need it fixed. That's how I'm gonna put it. That's the altar call. Your perception's jacked and you need it fixed. Hands everywhere. You can put them down when you're done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I don't know everybody in here. The second thing is this. If you haven't given your heart to Christ, you don't really know about all of this stuff, but man, you're like, that's me. I need to give my heart to Christ. Today is the day. I wanna make sure because that's what Jesus saw. When he was on that donkey, he saw people that needed salvation. And today is the day for you to make that decision. Is there anyone in here? Don't let another day go by. Anybody? Okay, I don't see any hands. Number two, you need to get back with God. You need to get back into right standing. You were living for God and you got away. Number two, I wanna rededicate my life. Actually, number three, is there anybody in here? Anybody, anybody, anybody. I see that hand, I see that hand, perfect. Anybody else, come on. We're in church, we're a family. Raise your hand, if it's you, raise your hand. Don't let another day go by. He loves you. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. Let's pray with these people. Father, we just come before you. You've seen these hands in this place. The people that, that need help with the way that they see life. Father, I pray, just as Paul prayed, that you would open the eyes of their understanding. I pray that you would help them to see, not naturally, Father, but spiritually. I pray that their spiritual eyes would be open, that they would begin to see the changes that they need to make. And I pray, Father God, that they would have boldness to do that in these days to come, Father. I thank you for helping them. I thank you for strengthening them, Father God, to do what it is that they need to do. And Father, for these, these people that, that wanna rededicate their life, Lord, to you. Father, you saw their hand. And I just thank you, Father God, that, that they have been brought back into right standing with you. By the raising of their hand, by their obedience, Father God, you have forgiven them of their sins. And I just thank you, Father God, that they are seen by you as righteous, as holy, as pure, in Jesus' name. And everybody said...